Dr. Luis Sandoval is accomplished in the fields of mental health and spiritual warfare. A medical doctor, board certified in neurology, psychiatry, and family medicine, he is also a psychiatrist for the Roman Catholic Diocese of Orange, Ministry of Healing and Deliverance. Now, Dr. Luis Sandoval. All right, well, welcome here to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. You're listening to the Dr. Luis Sandoval Show, where we talk about our health, our mental health, our spiritual health, and our physical health, and where we learn to think like Catholics together. You know, we do this together. It's not uh, that I can think better than anybody else as a Catholic, but I think always when we look things up, we research, we start to think like Catholics, that's going to help us live like Catholics and truly say that we are Catholic. How does somebody become something, right? How do we become uh, an athlete? How do we become an expert in something? Well, most professionals will tell you they just started getting a knack for it, a love for their sport, shall we say, if they're a professional athlete. They think about it all the time. They practice all the time and they, they live the lifestyle. They go in and they play the game. We got to do the same thing as Catholics. We got to start thinking like Catholics, which means we've got to read the Word of God, read our catechism, know what we're talking about. We've got to start living it. We've got to start living what we are reading, and through living it, we will become and be able to say that we are Catholics. Let's start our show today. Today's going to have a, a great show. You know, we, we have a few things coming up, um, but I want to start off with a prayer first before I, I give you a teaser for our show. So in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. The angel of the Lord declared unto Mary, and she conceived of the Holy Spirit, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it done unto me according to thy word. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. And the word was made flesh, and dwelt among us. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Pray for us, O Holy Mother of God, that we be made worthy of the promises of Christ. Let us pray. Pour forth, we beseech thee, O Lord, thy grace into our hearts, that we, to whom the incarnation of Christ thy Son was made known by the message of an angel, may by his passion in Christ be brought to the glory of his resurrection, through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. St. Michael, the archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke and we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl around the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, a few orders of business. So um, our show today is going to be on marriage. And really, did I settle in marriage? Am I happy in my marriage? What does that even mean to be happy in my marriage? Um, a little bit of a precursor to our conference uh, coming up next week. So we do have a couple of conferences coming up here at the Sacred Heart Chapel in Covina. Uh, one of the conferences is going to be next month, September 18th. It's the Women's Conference called True Devotion to St. Joseph. I think it's going to be a great conference. Father Charles Muir, Father Stephen, and Mary Danielle Barber are going to be giving us talks uh, about, well, really for the Women's Conference, about how True Devotion to St. Joseph might help with womanhood and being a woman uh, as a Catholic woman in this world. But uh, more uh, closely to us here, next uh, Saturday, August 7th, 
we are going to be having the Sex and Honor Conference, and that's going to be given by uh, here at the Sacred Heart Chapel. Uh, you can log on to virginmostpowerfulradio.org, and you can register there. You can either join us here in person, or you can uh, join us virtually. I will be having some giveaways at that conference, um, including um, some Catholic uh, items that might be of interest to people. I don't want to say what they are. You'll have to be here to find out. Um, but that conference, I think, is going to be important because we're going to have a few people coming here to talk. Well, we're going to have Mary Danielle Barber here, uh, who is going to talk to us about theology of the body. I think it's going to be a very important talk because sometimes we don't even understand what God wants for our bodies. How, why do we have this body? A lot of times in society, or shall we say in, in our Catholic world, sometimes we're made to feel like our, our bodies are bad. And that is quite the opposite. If God gave us this body, there has to be a whole lot of good to it, um, like everything else that God gives us. So it'll be important to listen to her talk in terms of what it means uh, as far as the theology of the body. We're going to have Cherie Ballinger, who is the producer or one of the producers for the movie Roe versus Wade. She uh, has been involved in Hollywood. She may, had her uh, big break when she uh, w- did a movie called The Parent Trap. It was a remake of an older movie. It was a Disney movie called The Parent Trap, and she was one of the actresses there. I know that she's done some modeling and some other uh, work in Hollywood, but she's really, as a faithful Catholic uh, who's devoted to Our Lady and the Rosary, really trying to bring some class back into Hollywood. And will be talking to us a little bit about what does that mean, what does that look like in her vision, um, and how we can uh, follow some of that as Catholics in this world. I'm going to be giving a few talks. And I think these talks are going to be important because uh, the first talk is going to be just how do we talk about uh, sex as married couples and what does that really mean within the sacrament of marriage? Not a, uh, a, I know we hear a lot of different talks on this from, you know, we're supposed to love each other and whatnot, but I think we have to have a real world talk in terms of whenever I get couples coming in for couples counseling or when we talk uh, to, as, as a married couple, what does that really mean in, in real life? You know, are we having real life conversations as far as, you know, wh- what does intimacy mean in our lives? Do we even talk about it? Do I, am I open to talking to my spouse about it? Or is this just an activity we do? We have to ask ourselves these questions because a lot of times I see relationships fall apart, um, because they don't talk not just about sex, but about just the intimacy in the marriage, which is a whole nother, uh, ball of wax. So today's show is really dedicated to what did I settle in marriage? What does marriage kind of really mean as a Catholic? And what does it mean to the world? And, you know, why is it that we can be unhappy in our marriages? Um, there was an interesting article, uh, that I saw. There's a couple of articles I want to go over, um, during the show, because it's interesting how the majority of these articles that I was looking for when I was looking for happiness in marriage was mostly women who felt that they weren't happy in their, in their marriage. I didn't get a whole lot of articles from men that I thought would be extremely relevant um, because uh, men, we kind of just don't talk about it. Uh, We're not very open about saying, gosh, this is how I feel or this is what I'm thinking about things. You know, we're much more in terms of doing, acting, and it's true that, you know, we like to fix things and if something's broken, well, I just want to make it right. Um, But we don't sometimes take a step back to think about why it might be broken. On the other hand, you know, uh, from the female perspectives that I I speak to and and the articles that I see, sometimes women like to think about things and feel things and, you know, the same way that guys, we can be short-sighted and we just want to fix everything without thinking about it. Sometimes women think about things a whole lot and might extrapolate to different things. Uh, But that's just in terms of our personalities. And really what it comes down to is we've got to find that happy medium. I think it's, we can look at it as, wow, these two people, they can never get along or th- because of these personalities. They are, you know, how do we even get married? 
Or we can look at it as, wow, that, that really complements one another. It's great to have somebody who wants to jump in and, and fix things or think about things in, a, in say, a mechanical way. Um, but it's also great to have that nurturing, caring, emotional side of things. And when we marry those two, it's a great complement because then all of a sudden it brings it to a whole. Um, it's not just a mechanical construction fix, uh, something broken. And it's not just the strictly feelings, how am I doing? It's a marriage of the two of let's build something together, but let's put emotion into it. And I think that that's really going to be the key. But there was an interesting article I saw where it said that uh, this is called 17 Women Get Real and Admit Why They Married the Guy They Settled For. So a lot of times these articles I was seeing uh, was that women were saying that they felt that they settled. Here's a, a few examples of that. Um, one of them said, um, let me see here when I read it correctly. Here's a quote from one of them. One of the gals said, I was in love with the idea of him. I thought that my idea was real and would be close enough to reality. 11 years and two wonderful children later, I don't hate or blame him for not being my idea. It's just sad. The good news is that I think we have both now found better fits in for our real selves. And so I'm not exactly sure what she means by that last part um, because better fits for our, our real selves. But this is a very important um insight that she has, uh, which, which is very, very good. And I think that this is true, not just for, for women, but for men as well. I love the fact she starts off with, I was in love with the idea of him. And I think in our modern day society, that's one of the things that we come across when we're going to talk about marriage and what it means. We have an idea of marriage and we have an idea of what we think we're getting into. And I think by saying I have an idea, I was in love with the idea of him. We idealize people. So I was in love with my image of him, what I had decided he was, and men do this too. I had decided what this woman was, shall we say. Um, you know, men can say that. And we idealize people, we put them on a pedestal, and we kind of have this idea of this fantasy life, right? It's the fantasy. We, we think of, oh, he's my prince in, in shining armor. He is, uh, uh, he's going to get me everything I need, and he's going to make me happy. So I think that that's one of the challenging parts. Um, and because she goes on to say, I thought that my idea was real and would be close enough to reality. So she thought my idea was real. But then the question is, what was real? You know, 11 years later and two wonderful children, I don't hate or blame her for not being my idea. It's just sad. So this is the part where we need to grow. So it, it's fair to say, yeah, I'm going to fantasize. And when we do this, right, how do we know we do this? We have a checkoff list. Well, who do I want to marry? Well, I have a list. Well, you know, uh, from a female's perspective, well, he has to be like this and he has to have this kind of job or he has to maybe drive this car or he might be, maybe has to have this house. Other women might say, you know, if you're a very devout Catholic woman, say, you know, I just want him to be in love with Christ. I want him to uh, follow the church teachings. Okay, that's great. But we've already created this idea of the person. Men do this too. Who do I want to marry? Well, she's got to be beautiful for sure. And then, you know, she's got to um, have these qualities and she's got to be funny or she's got to be, you know, we might not have quite the long list that, that women do. Usually we, we look at different things. We'll sometimes settle for less um, in terms of, or we have a, a, a shorter list. But at the same time, one of the things is that if we idealize the other person, we're not being fair to either them or ourselves. We have to look at this as, I'm going to marry somebody, and if I'm going to get married, and if I feel called to the vocation of marriage, which is kind of where we need to start, you know, when we're going to talk about that a little bit later on in the show, but if I'm going to marry somebody, I got to realize they are a human being like I am, and to be fair, we're both going to have our faults. It's probably not going to be my fantasy ideal, but hopefully... 
hopefully it'll be something beautiful that we can create together and grow and mature. More when we come back on the other side of the break. All right, welcome back to the Dr. Louis Sandoval Show here on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Um, today we are talking about marriage and why some people feel that marriage is just awful or they settled for marriage uh, and what we can do about that, what we can do in the future. I was reading this article about, it mentioned women who felt that they settled for their marriage. But before that, just in case there's ever any questions or you need to get a hold of me or you just kind of want to chat, don't forget you can always email me at doctor, that's dr.sandovalvmpr at gmail.com. I know I've had a few of our listeners reach out to me uh, and uh, uh, request that email. Um, so again, that's doctor, dr.sandovalvmpr at gmail.com. In case you have any questions, comments, or just kind of want to chat about life. Um, so we're reading this article about women who feel that they've settled. Uh, the, we were, before the break, we were talking about how somebody felt that they had married somebody because they liked the idea of the person or the idea of being married. And that's true. I mean, this, that's kind of how we grow up. I think there has to be a certain point, though, where the reality of marriage settles in. Listen to this one. This is an uh, interesting one. Um, I married my soon-to-be ex-husband, so obviously things aren't going very well, uh, knowing that I was settling. So a lot of times people will actually go into marriages feeling like they're already settling, that this is not the ideal person, but I'm going to do it for X, Y, or Z reason. And let's find out why. So she says, I met him online and we got along amazingly well. This happens all the time with online dating. And this is when I talk to people about online dating. You know, when you meet somebody online, you're writing, you're, you're doing instant messaging or emailing back and forth. You don't really get a feel for who the person is. There is something to be said about meeting somebody in person. There is a, a chemistry that we either have or we don't have. But online, it's very easy. I mean, it's kind of like saying, you know, you, do you watch the movie or do you read the book? Well, if I read the book, the book was great. You know, the book is usually better than the movie because the book allows me to have imagination and I can write my own story on that. Kind of like the, the lady who said before she had married an idea or she liked the idea of the marriage. We build up these ideas when we look at people online or we start dating online. And then all of a sudden we meet them and we get the movie. Now all of a sudden our ideas are, are not really what maybe we imagined or envisioned, but okay, let's see what she says. He was a very nice guy with a good heart, stable job, excellent work ethic, and his own vehicle and residence. We were both looking for long-term relationships, ended up moving in together a year after we met and getting married eight months after that. So not bad. So they knew each other for a year, um, but they did move in together first. Uh, but they, and they moved in, in together for a year, got married eight months later. Okay. They've known each other long enough and we did everything the right way. She says, well, now if we're, you know, in the Catholic world, we're not going to say it was the right way of you're moving in together first, but okay. <clears throat> for modern day, uh, perspective, she says that they did everything the right way, moving in together, then getting married, then buying the house and then having a child. So, okay, there we go. This is the right way is moving in together and then getting married. That's the way of the world nowadays right? And we're going to see down the road here at the end of the show that there's a reason why the Catholic Church does it the other way around, why we say, well, you got to get married first and then move in together. But let's see what happened uh, for this relationship. We were both looking for the perfect and ideal marriage life. Again, 
We come in with this idea of what a marriage should be or will be or how our marriages are going to be different from other people's, right? We're, I'm going to get married, but it's going to be, oh, I'll never be like that couple. No, my gosh, that's terrible. I don't know what they were thinking. Or, oh, I would never raise my kids that way. Look, at they can't even behave. You know, we imagine that from the outside because we idealize what our lives are going to be like. And that's actually good to idealize what our lives are going to be like, or we would never get married. Why would I marry into something that I think is going to be miserable? But then again, you know, the question is, are you settling? Remember, from the beginning, she said that she knew she was settling. And, and let's, let's look at this because she's saying, I did this the right way. The very first sentence is, I married my soon-to-be ex-husband knowing that I was settling. And then she says, we did everything the right way. Hmm. So if you're doing everything the right way, what makes you think that you're settling? Let's see what happened. So we're moving in together, then getting married, then buying a house, and then having a child. We were both looking for the perfect and ideal marriage. I was already 33 and I felt my time was very limited to get married and have kids and do everything that I wanted to do in the quote unquote right way. And she puts it in quotes. So she's already 33 and now all of a sudden time's ticking. So you notice that when we get married in the Catholic church, one of the questions is, are you coming here unpressured by anything or anyone, anything, including time? Do you feel like you're getting married just because your time's running short? Or do you feel like this is a person I love and I want to make a life with this person uh, regardless of time? This is God will decide on children and time. Okay, she obviously was saying, it's already 33, she's pressured by time. She says, I settled for him even though I knew in my heart that it would not last forever. She already went into this with an emotional prenup, shall we say. You know, we hear prenuptials uh, where they're... Um, uh, you know, money, obviously, right, and, and goods and, and what I own. And, you know, if you don't sign this prenup, it's because I'm not going to give you any money in case we get divorced. Well, she's already saying, I settled for him, and even though I knew in my heart that it would not last forever, she's already got an emotional prenup there. After having our daughter, I started to realize how big our differences really are. Things came to a head when my daughter was 11 months old, and I found out some things that he had been hiding from me that started the unraveling of our marriage, <clears throat> excuse me, and we are now getting divorced. Well, let's see here. I did everything the right way. We lived in together. This is what you would, you would think that you would have known some of these things because you're saying you moved in and you did everything the right way. I think this is where the problem lies, where we're going to move in together and then get married. Because if you're moving in together, Obviously, you know, my guess is you're having intimate, uh, you're having sex, you're in an intimate relationship, you're in a physical relationship, and it's going to blind you to who this person is. It's going to blind you to a lot of things because you had already said it from the beginning, you know, we're doing everything the right way. Um, you're already in your heart settling and you already knew it wasn't going to last forever. Then why did you stay in it? The idea of getting married and then living together is because I've already made a commitment that this is going to last forever regardless you know, in this particular case, it's like, hey, I'm, I'm doing a trial run. But it wasn't until their daughter was 11 months old. And now at 11 months old is when you're finding things out. That's not to say that, you know, even if you uh, don't live together and you get married and, th and then move in together, that you're not going to find out different things about your spouse. But I think it gives you a little bit more clarity. It gives you a little bit more of an idea of who the person is when you're forced to not be intimate. Intimacy is great, but it should be the icing on the cake. It should be after I get to know who this person is, I know what their faults are, I know what our life is going to be like, our compatibilities, non-compatibilities. And then when we're done with that, now I, I think I want to have a family with this person. So then I'm going to get married because I want to have a family. This was the other way around, you know, in the sense that 
I, it was a checkoff list where it's like, well, we're going to move in together and then we're going to get married and then we're going to buy a house and then we have a child. But it was really, you know, we're looking, we're, I'm already looking for this ideal marriage. Am I going into this with clear eyes where I think that, no, this is going to be good for the long run? No, because I settled for him even though I knew in my heart that it would not last forever. So I'm going into this already thinking it's not going to last forever. Then the question comes up, you know, if you're in couples therapy, it says things came to a head when my daughter was 11 months old. I found out some things that he had been hiding from me. What I would wonder at the same time is if already from beforehand, you already went into this thinking it's not going to last forever. Was he really hiding things from you or not? Or is this now where you're, where you're feeling like, oh, I found something out and I'm going to say he was hiding it from me. And now that's my reason to get a divorce. And it could be him or her. It is either way. It just happens to be from a female perspective, you know, <clears throat> and that's already the unraveling of the marriage. We're getting divorced. These are the things you got to ask yourself is if you're already going into a marriage emotionally thinking that it's not in your heart and it's not going to last forever, then we got a problem. You know, anything is going to be an excuse to be, uh, to say that, you know, either you're hiding things from me, this wasn't going to work, you know, things of that nature. And so that's something to consider. This is why it's important to, when we say get to know somebody before you get married, um, <clears throat> you know, part of that is when your parents tell you that, you know, if, if, as we're growing up, it's not just about, you know, you don't know what you're doing. It's kind of like you don't know what you're doing. And what I mean by that is this. It's not that you're dumb. It's not that you can't make a good choice for yourself. It's that if you speak to a married couple, you start to realize that, yes, they probably had an ideal uh, image of their marriage and somebody who's been married for a long time. And somehow in their marriage, they start to realize, and I think this happens to any couple, any mature couple, you look back and you realize, yeah, I didn't know what I was doing because I had to learn it as I went in the marriage but my commitment was to learn it with this person. I think when we go into a marriage uh, with an idealized view of marriage, this is gonna be my ideal. The problem with that is I've already decided how this marriage is gonna go. I'm not open to any changes from that ideal, and if there is a change, then the marriage failed. And that's not the way we look at it from a Catholic perspective. From a Catholic perspective, we gotta say, look, I'm gonna get married, there's gonna be changes along the way. I don't know what those changes are gonna be. I don't know what I'm doing, but I wanna figure this out with you. Here's another very important one, and I think that this is kind of, this would be important for anybody to read before they get married. This lady is very uh, insightful in what she's saying. She said, I didn't know I was settling. So the other ones were, you know, gosh, I knew when I went into the marriage, I wasn't going to, wasn't going to last long. This one's saying, I didn't know I was settling. Let's see what she has to say. She says, I didn't know I was settling. I thought that you grew up, you met someone presumably appropriate, felt enough in love, despite their sometimes obvious shortcomings, and then get married. Sounds pretty reasonable, right? Isn't that what we want? We want to grow up. We want to meet somebody. We want to kind of have those butterfly feelings, be at least enough in love or be in love or feel like we love this person. And despite their sometimes obvious shortcomings, I love that she said that because she's being realistic. There's some obvious shortcomings that we know we're going to marry into or we're going to have as a couple and then get married. So I'm going into this with eyes wide open. The only thing is she said, I didn't know I was settling. Let's look at why. It never occurred to me that the things you choose to settle on couldn't be changed or overcome. Ah, this happens a lot. And I think it's, it's human nature, but I think this is the kind of things where you really want to listen when people tell you about this. And I'll, and I'll explain why a little bit later. Let's read a little bit more. No one deliberately didn't have a job. No one deliberately doesn't pull their own weight. No one really sabotages themselves, right? They just need more love and support and energy than someone who does have those things. Wrong. So let's look at what she's saying. She got married 
And she's saying no one deliberately didn't have a job. So she's saying, you know, gosh, maybe we didn't have jobs, but I assume that would change in the future, right? I, I assume that we're going to have jobs because from the beginning, she said, I thought you grew up, met somebody presumably appropriate, fell in love despite their obvious shortcomings and then get married. This is just kind of what we do, right? This is, this is what we do at the same time. If at the same, at, at the time when I marry this person, they don't have a job or I don't have the job or something on those lines. I think she's just assuming, well, somebody's going to get a job. That's just what's going to happen. No one deliberately doesn't pull their own weight. Well, I'm sure that when we get married, this will change, right? Somebody's going to, everybody, we're all going to pull our own weight. No one really sabotages themselves, right? No, I assume that if I'm thinking that I'm going to better myself, I assume that everybody else will too. And if I marry somebody, they're going to want to better themselves just like I will. They just need more love and support. I'm here for them. They're going to they're gonna do well in life. I just know it. we're going to get married. Everything's going to be great. And our love will carry us through. I'm just going to give them love, support, or give her love and support and, energy, and more energy. They just need that because they don't have those things. And once we have that, then that's the magic. That's the secret sauce, right? That's the magic glue. That's what's going to get us to move forward and, and be married. Well, let's see. She goes on to the second paragraph. We aren't taught to recognize the difference between not yet and never going to happen. <laughs> She's never going to, but never going to happen. This is very true. And this is something that we need to go in wise wide open. What a roller coaster ride and not the kind that's fun. I know now that when you settle, you get what you settle for. Now, remember she said at the beginning, she didn't know what she was settling. We're going to come back from the break and we're going to see what she says that she was settling for, because this is a very, very important uh, mindset that we have when we get married uh, that can really ruin marriages if we're not ready for that. More when we come back from the other side of the break on hopefully seeing a good, happy Catholic marriage. All right. Well, welcome back to the Dr. Luis Sandoval show here on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Today we're talking about marriage and really when I uh, talk to couples, when uh, they come for couples counseling or when people ask me, uh, marriage advice from a psychiatric perspective, from a Catholic psychiatric perspective. Um, you know, this comes up a lot and this is, this is a common theme that I hear, uh, this last, uh, scenario we were talking about before the break, in case you're joining us now. Um, one of the things is this person says we aren't taught to recognize the differences between not yet and never going to happen in a marriage. Um, <clears throat> and she says, so let me, let me finish reading this and we can talk about this a little bit. What a roller coaster ride and not the kind that's fun. I know now that when you settle, you get what you settle for. Hopefully that's enough because it ain't going to change, at least without a lot of heartache and commitment on both sides. I ended up with three amazing children. So, and she says that's something very positive, underlines that. But I know my life would have been very different if I'd followed my gut and bailed on getting married six weeks before when I asked myself, what am I getting out of this? And realize I wasn't getting anything but a bag of moonshine. The question is, how do you figure out what is important enough to let the other things not matter? What are the consequences to yourself and your children when you pick the wrong things? Okay, this is important. I mean, we're, let's let's tease this out a little bit because this is one of the things that we, it's, it's like a, the reality, the shocker, the kick in the gut. Once you're married, this is who I married. Um, you know, and while we're dating, there's always the, oh, I'm sure this will change. When we're married, things will be different. And we imagine marriage to all of a sudden be kind of like in the, in the fairy tales, you know, not that I'm not saying that we're being uh, naive or anything like that, but we are in a way 
blinded to the realities of marriage um, because we might imagine that once we get married, we walk out that door and all of a sudden we're going to have a castle and we're going to have a perfect life and we're not going to want for anything because our love is going to carry us through um, all this marriage. But she makes a really good point. There's a big difference between not yet and never going to happen. What that means is Obviously, if I'm marrying somebody who's going to be a professional, let's say, uh, you know, I, I was going through medical school and I had to do residency and it's a long haul. And I know that there's a light at the end of the tunnel where I'm going to have hopefully a, a, a stable career or something where I can provide. And that's great. And there's that's that falls in the not yet category If you're dating somebody and you know that they have a good head on their shoulders. They're working hard. They're working towards a degree and a career. And, and their mind, their mind is in the sense of uh, I want to have. Uh, a good life for me and my family. I want to be able to provide for my family. I want to have uh, a few th- a plan in place for that. That falls in the not yet category. Somebody's working towards something and it's not there yet. So I'm not going to say, well, you're only you know in medical school, so I'm not going to. I'm not going to wait till you're a doctor. You can. That's fine too. That's perfectly fair. Uh, but there's some long haul careers. There's some shorter careers where somebody says, well, I want to be a teacher or this is what I do for my my career. I run my own business. Okay. That's fine, and and that's happening now. But the never going to happen, it kind of reminds me of, um, you know, what she said before. No one deliberately didn't have a job. There's some things that we just assume, well, when we get married, that's just going to happen. we got to take a step back and ask ourselves, well, how is that going to happen? How do you see that happening? If it's not happening now, what's going to change in the future that it's going to happen? You know, oh, this person, they're just not very much. You know what? It's okay. They just smoke a little marijuana right now. They're just having fun. When we get married, that'll change. They're not going to use any drugs anymore because they, they, they promised me that, you know, that's, that's going to change. How do you know? Can they stop now? Of course, anybody who's using drugs will tell you, oh, I can stop anytime I want. Okay. I've heard that uh, many, many a times, but now you're talking about getting married to this person. How do you know that they're committed to that? Why don't they just stop now? Uh, these are questions you got to ask yourself. She did say, what a roller coaster ride and not the kind that's fun. I know now that when you settle, you get what you settle for, which means that some things are not going to change. Hopefully that's enough because it ain't going to change. So some of the things that she probably was hoping were going to change, she realized this is just who this person is. This is who the personality is. And we've got to be realistic about that, not just <clears throat> about the other person, but I think we have to take a look at ourselves and be realistic as well because it's not fair either to make promises if while we're dating and say, no, don't worry. When we're married, I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that. We have to be having honest look at ourselves and say, I'm never going to do that. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm never going to, well, this thing that you're hoping I'm going to do, uh, you know, that I'm going to start to love to travel, which I don't now. Yeah. When we get married, of course I'll, I'll, I'll love to travel. I don't know if I don't like that now, then the reality is I don't know that I will. And if that's something that's very important for you and that's going to be a make it or break it in a relationship, that's something to consider because I might never change. I might never do that. And you might have to settle for somebody who you thought was going to change. But it's not going to change, at least not. And she says, at least not without a little heartache and commitment on both sides. And this is where the realities of marriage start settling in, right? The commitment on both sides is, well, am I expecting the other person to change for me? Am I, are they expecting me to change? Or are we really accepting each other for who we are and realize that I've got to accept this person and really what I've got to change is myself and my perspective and realize marriage ain't about me. It's about the marriage, right? So I've got to change and grow up and realize this is who I'm marrying and this is what they're like and this is what I have to work with and I'm not going to expect them to change. And if they do, great. That's, that's wonderful. If they change in a positive direction, I hope, um, that's wonderful. But 
I realize I'm the one who has to mature. And I think that this is a lot of times what we don't hear is marriage is a maturing process, you know, for both parties, but really a maturing for ourselves. It gets very difficult when we expect the partner to change and they're going to meet our expectations. But do we stop and think about what are their expectations? You know, they're going to have expectations and are, is it fair for me to have expectations on them the way they're going to have expectations on me? Or are we going to build each other where we're at? You know, this is who you are. This I'm recognizing that this is who you are. Well, this is who I am. Please support me. And we got to have honest conversations too. We got to be able to say, look, I don't like this about you. This is your, I don't, you have the, uh, a challenging personality in this way or this habit. It's really annoying. But, you know, I've learned to live with it is what we say when we're in a healthy marriage. It's not a bad thing to say I learned to live with it. That doesn't mean settling. It means I learned how to respect that this is who this person is and they have shortcomings. But more importantly, if I learned to live with that, I have to realize that they've learned to live with me too because I'm probably not that easy to live with in certain areas or in some condition or certain circumstances. Uh, you know, we all have our personalities. There was another article that was uh, interesting and it said 17 signs you're in an unhappy or loveless marriage. These are pretty obvious, but we, you know, when we read through them, I just want to read through the list of them because this is what leads to I settled for marriage. I don't know what's going on. This is talking about being in a loveless marriage a little bit different, but along the same ballpark, because a lot of times we feel like, yeah, it's just that there's no love in our marriage. We fell out of love. You hear that a lot of times because then that tells me, no, we were ideal. We were great, but you know, we just kind of fell out of love. So we decided to go our own ways. It's important to look at these because when you're in the marriage, you don't always see these things. And number one on this was you aren't having sex anymore. Is that the end all to end all that you're not having sex anymore? No, but is that really a good sign and probably a good sign that you're in, in, in a loveless marriage or there's an issue going on? Absolutely. Not because sex is that important, but because if you're already at that point, that tells me that a lot of things went wrong beforehand. You know, sex is a culmination of we get along our intimacy, our everyday life, uh, and within the sacrament, that's why uh, we wait until we're married. Why? Because on that wedding night, we say, look, we've spent all this time together we found that we're compatible and we're building our love for each other. And now we're going to seal it uh, physically in a, in a visible way to each other. Um, and if that's no longer in the marriage, you know, if, if it didn't happen, if, if once you got married, it wasn't consummated, it's not a valid marriage. The church finds sex that important. You know, a lot of times we think, oh, this church is very prudish about sex. No, not at all. Quite the opposite. It's more when it's in marriage, it better have happened. Um, or the marriage didn't happen. You can easily get an annulment and say, we never consummated the marriage. Then it's not a real marriage, which tells me that that really is important. Um, it, it's the final straw, if you will, the final, the final threshold. But if you're at a, in a marriage and you're at that point, then that tells me that a whole lot of things, uh, went wrong. Um, the next one was you have nothing to say to each other. How many times do you sit there with your spouse and realize I've got nothing to say to this person. We have, we say we have nothing in common anymore. Or we have nothing in common. No, if you're friends, if you're friends with somebody, you always have something to say. You're always willing to share. Even the silliest things are important. Why is it that a friend's friendships last forever? Um, because you always have something to say. You always have a conversation. There's always a topic. There's always something new. The other question is, if you have nothing to say to each other, are you growing together? If you are, you know, when we get, if we get married in our twenties, say, or our thirties, um, we're probably not the same person with the same interest by the time we're in our fifties, 
you know, 40s, 50s, 60s. Hopefully we have grown. Hopefully that hopefully we're not the same person because, gosh, I would hate to see a, a 50-year-old who's like a 20-year-old. Hopefully we're maturing together. But if we have nothing to say to each other at this point, that tells me that there was a lack of growth, a lack of, of maturing, and a lack of interest, really, in each other. If all of a sudden I'm getting older and I find something really cool and I think, wow, I think boats are really cool for whatever reason. I'm on this boat kick and checking out all the different kinds of boats and the history and, you know, the yachts that are being built now and the cruise ships and look at the engines and it might be silly and I might sit there and tell my wife, check this out. This is kind of cool. It's interesting. And I want to share with somebody. She might roll her eyes and say, who cares about boats? But at the same time, if it's interesting to me, if it's interesting to your friend, you're going to hear them out and you're going to have a conversation about it. "Ah, That's kind of cool. You know, that's your thing, but we're sharing it intellectually. We're sharing it with each other. That's where, if you have nothing to say to each other, something's going on. There's a lack of intimacy there. And I'm not talking about sex. I'm talking, there's a lack of emotional friendship intimacy this is the same kind of the same thing. Number three on this list of a loveless marriages, you're with each other, but not really with each other. And what does that mean? What it really means is how many times are you in the same room, but you're in two different worlds? You know, the, the distance, um, doesn't have to be physical for there to be distance. There's an emotional distance and it's the same along the same lines. If you have nothing to say to each other, you can be in the same room. You can be in two different rooms. It's no different. And that already tells me that there is a lack of emotional connectedness. Somebody, along the lines is not making the effort to find the other person interesting. <clears throat> How interesting were we when we got married, right? When we we're dating, hopefully if we were in love if we weren't settling already. We found that person so interesting. We couldn't stand to be away from them. We couldn't imagine our lives with anybody else or ever being away from them. So we get married. And then what happens to that feeling? I think it's that lack of maturing, that lack of growth or that lack of realizing that no, you know, I've already idealized my marriage. I already boxed it into this is how it is. And all of a sudden I can't leave that box. But the reality is we have to grow. We have to mature. And then we're going to talk to each other. We're going to find each other interesting. Another one says, uh, let me see if there's another point here. You're preoccupied with other people's needs and problems. Very common. So all of a sudden you're married, but you're each doing very different things. And, you know, it's important to have your own things. Uh, sometimes, you know, somebody likes to go out with their friend, grab a cup of coffee, have lunch. It's good to have a variety of conversations. But if you're in a place where you're more worried or more interested in taking care of the rest of the world and not your own household, that could be a problem. That could be a sign that there's a lack of intimacy, a lack of connectedness with your spouse. More when we come back from the break, we're going to talk about... How we do this in a Catholic way. Is there any hope for marriage? Let's talk about that when we come back from the break. We'll hear from Fulton Sheen. Yes. All right. Well, welcome back to the Dr. Louis Sandoval Show here on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Today we are talking about marriage. And is marriage even worth it? Sounds like there's a lot of problems. We're actually talking about people who feel like they've settled in their marriage. Um, issues that you're going to have in your marriage in terms of, you know, what are some of the signs that there's no longer intimacy in the marriage? Marriage is falling apart. What's going on with that? You know, usually they say nowadays that it's about 50% of marriages end up in divorce. And why is that? Um, I was reading this article that was pretty interesting. It said that there were signs that your marriage um, is falling apart or that you're in a loveless marriage. One of the important ones uh, was that you stopped fighting. You've actually stopped fighting. That's That's really an important point because Fighting is not necessarily a bad thing in a marriage. It depends on how you define fighting and how you're fighting, really, uh, more than anything else. But I think it's important to have arguments, discussions, uh, disagreements, uh, differences of opinion 
in marriages that can be spoken about, resolved, um, and and come to a conclusion and hopefully make us a stronger couple. Why is it important to fight in marriage? Fighting is really just a sign that I want to be heard I want, and the other person wants to be heard and we're wanting to be heard together. <clears throat> this is not talking about any physical violence, any threats, any you know, danger to your life or anything like that. That's abuse. So there's a big difference between discussion, argument, fighting, and abuse. But to have a discussion, to have an, an argument, to exchange words back and forth, and to feel strongly about each other's opinions, and me arguing with that person about my opinions, in in a way, sometimes we say, oh, you just, you just always want to be right. You're not listening to me. At the same time, it also means I want to be heard but I want to be heard by you. So if I'm sharing this with you, you might not agree or, or you might not think that I'm right or you might think I'm being silly. You might want to dismiss it. But really what I'm saying emotionally is this is important to me and I don't think I'm being heard or that you're seeing it from my perspective. And it's important to me that you see it from my perspective because I love you. And this is why people end up fighting and arguing. It's actually because they love each other and they want their point to be seen by their partner or their spouse. Now, at the same time, does that mean that we have to agree on everything? No, sometimes we can lovingly, hopefully, agree to disagree. Um, but the fighting is actually an important part of marriage or the arguing or the being able to have a conversation where we disagree, where we're not always going to be happy. And then we can come back together and realize how silly the fight was, not what we were arguing about. Maybe your emotions, your thoughts, your feelings, whatever you wanted to get across is important, but the fact that we fought about it, that we need to go through a fight to resolve it, seems silly, and hopefully it brings us closer together because then we can tell each other, no, you are important to me, and your thoughts are important to me, and I wanna hear what you have to say. That's really what that fighting is about. When that stops, when I don't care enough to bring my thoughts to you, my arguments to you, my uh, differences to you as my spouse, then that's a sign that, yeah, we are being distant. We're, we're kind of separating ourselves from the marriage, and. I don't find you important enough to share my thoughts with or to argue with. Why am I even going to argue? Now we start heading down that road of indifference and that can be a problem. So it sounds pretty, you know, drastic. It's all grim. How, how do we resolve this? If we say, well, marriage, you know, gosh, you go into it an ideal and you don't even know what you're getting. Um, all of a sudden I'm married to this person and they're not going to change the way I thought they would, or my ideal is not there. Or, you know, gosh, I, it was at first, it was a great fantasy. Maybe it was just an infatuation. But now that we're together, I see that, mm, you know, we've grown apart. We're not in love. Eh, I think we're going to get a divorce. That's, that's the modern way of the world, if you will. Well, the reality is when you think of it from a Catholic perspective, what is marriage and why is it set up that way? And why does the Catholic Church say that this is the way it should be set up worldwide, right? Because if it's Catholic, it's universal. And really what we're saying is this is the way that God would teach it to us. This is the magisterium of the church, the way that Jesus would teach it to us because marriage is a sacrament and we've got to elevate it to a sacramental level. Now, we can talk about, well, you know, are you trying to tell me that there's not something called natural marriage? Yeah, if two, if a man and a woman want to get together and live together and have children together and have a family together, that's a natural marriage. Why do I have to go to the church and get a, a blessing or get a piece of paper or things along those lines? Well, there's a great article that came out recently. Um, it just came out uh, yesterday in uh, Catholic Exchange, and it's called, the title is Fulton J. Sheen, Marriage is a Symbol of the Nuptials Between Christ and the Church. Let me read that again. Marriage is a symbol of the nuptials between Christ and the Church. The husband and wife are not just a symbol of the union of Christ and the Church. They enjoy a real participation in that union. This is what it comes down to. If Christ is real, 
if at the end of the day I'm going to die and I'm going to have to come before the throne of God and Christ is there and Christ is real, then nothing else matters. My petty wondering about are you going to change, not going to change, it doesn't really matter because now uh, now I understand what we're doing. If we are going to get married, what I'm really saying is we are going to be a symbol of Christ. And if we're going to be a symbol of Christ, then guess what? I have to elevate myself because no human is perfect. Um, I want to go through this article because I think it's a very important article, especially in today's day and age. And it's the kind of conversation I want to have if you sign up for our conference next week on August 7th. This is really the kind of conversation we need to have in the conference. I know the conference is called Sex and Honor, but the reality is sex is within the sacrament of marriage, and this is why we need to talk about it. And we need to talk about it the way that as Catholics, we need to hear about it. This article is actually an excerpt from a chapter in a book called Archbishop Sheen's Book of Sacraments. Okay, so you can and you can find that in uh, according to the article, it's from Sophia Institute Press. Uh, so again, that book is going to be Archbishop Sheen's Book of the Sacraments, um, and it's an anthology of Bishop Sheen's uh, writings and speeches. So let's go through this article very quickly. It says, marriage as a sacrament belongs to an entirely different order than a mere union of man and woman through a civil contract. It basically regards a husband and wife as symbols of another marriage, namely the nuptials of Christ and his church. As a married couple, we need to realize that when I look at my wife, I need to look at her in a way that I am thinking of the marriage of Christ and his church Where is the love there? Christ knew that we weren't perfect and he accepted us wholeheartedly and died for us and elevated us. And hopefully in a married couple, I know that my wife's not perfect and hopefully her imperfections, instead of digging at them, I can elevate her and say, I want to help you if you feel you have any imperfections to lift that. And I hope you do the same for me. Anyway, the article goes on to say, the analogy of the heavenly nuptials goes back to the Old Testament where God appears as the bridegroom and Israel appears as the bride. When God becomes incarnate in Christ, he called himself and was called the bridegroom. It is the new Israel or the church which becomes his bride or his spouse. It is often forgotten that our blessed Lord called himself a bridegroom. When our Lord was asked why the disciples of John fasted, but his own did not, he answered, can you expect the men of the bridegroom's company to go fasting while the bridegroom is still with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot be expected to fast. Christ is already talking about marriage here. He's already talking about the fact that we are in a marriage. Um, and this is important. We need to think of this as a marriage in terms of not just a husband and wife, but a marriage of Christ and the church as a sacrament. Um, if I look at it that way, Christ is the bridegroom. Am I preparing myself for this marriage? Am I preparing myself for Christ? Am I prepared to meet Christ in my wife? I have to approach my wife in a way that I would want Christ to approach me or that me to approach Christ. We have to try to lift ourselves to that perfection for each other while we recognize each other's imperfections. John the Baptist called himself the friend of the bridegroom or what might be in modern language, the best man. The title of bridegroom, which belonged to Christ, was shared by no other. As John himself said, the bride is for the bridegroom, but the bridegroom's friend who stands by and listens to him rejoices too, rejoices at hearing the bridegroom's voice. On the other hand, the wife's relationship to the husband is the relationship of church to Christ. This is why when St. Paul speaks of marriage, he says, those words are a high mystery applying to Christ and his church. The ultimate consummation of this espousal of Christ and his church will be after the resurrection when the church without spot or wrinkle will appear as bride adorned for her husband or as a spouse of the lamb. 
Those are important words because this is, again, this is how do we prepare ourselves. After the resurrection, the church will be without spot or wrinkle and appear as a bride adorned for her husband, right? As a church, I have to prepare myself that way for Christ. <clears throat> for the spouse, this is, isn't this why, why is it that, uh, um, you know, at a marriage, what happens at a wedding? It is the bride who comes in from the back and she presents herself adorned for the groom. That's just how it is. You know, whether people want to say whatever they want to say about it, this is, this is why we do this. You know, the groom is standing at the front of the altar waiting for the spouse to present herself uh, the way that the church is going to present herself to Christ, hopefully purified after the resurrection. It goes on to talk about the sacrament of matrimony. Now, this is important. The sacrament of matrimony is not a pious extra added to the marriage contract. In other words, when people say, well, why do I have to go to the church to, I can, I don't need a piece of paper to be married. It's, he says, it is rather the elevation of a natural marriage contract. Like we said, you know, two people can get together and say that they're married. Um, but it elevates that contract to the order of grace in which the husband loves the wife as Christ loves the church and the wife loves the husband as the church loves Christ. When we get these graces, this is what allows me to, through all the imperfections or through all the times where I feel like, oh, I got to get out of here. What did I do? Why did I get married? If anybody feels that way, getting married in the church is what gives us the graces to be able to see past that, to be able to see not just the natural marriage, because if it were just strictly natural marriage, why stick around? But to see the supernatural aspect of the marriage, where I see my wife as Christ loved the church and the church and the, and the wife sees the husband as the church loves Christ. The husband and the wife are not just a symbol of the union of Christ in the church. They enjoy a real participation in that union. As Christ lives in the church and the church in Christ, so the husband lives in the wife and the wife in the husband, and the two are in one flesh. <clears throat> it goes on to say the role of the priest in the sacraments to ratify, to witness, and to bestow the church's official blessing on those whom she now empowers to furnish new members to Christ's mystical body. This is the one sacrament. So this is this sent, next sentence is very important. This is the one sacrament in which the contracting parties are the ministers of the sacrament to each other. In other words, of one to another and in the giving of the hand to each other, there is a mutual surrender of rights and acceptance of duties. But to be a sacrament, a representative of the church must be there to witness it. So in other words, when people say, oh, this priest married us, the priest did not marry you. The priest was a witness that this was done in a sacramental way to the church and that you should be elevated to the graces. But the priest does not marry the couple. They're just witnesses. This is why you can have a priest. You can have a deacon. You can have anybody else. This is why, why is it that the church will recognize a marriage if it was in a civil union in a courthouse and they can say you probably were validly married because by natural law you were validly married. But unless the priest gives the blessing, it doesn't get elevated to the state of grace or the supernatural state. But the important thing is when you ask a couple, well, who married you guys? You have to say, we married each other. That's really the point of the Catholic Church. We married each other and we are the ministers of that sacrament. We represent the body of Christ. This is what keeps our marriage together um, through the hard times, through the times where we feel like, what is it that we're doing? I'm ready to leave. No, because we need to represent Christ to each other and to the world. We have been elevated to a sacrament. We've been elevated to the state of grace where our marriage is not just about our differences. Our marriage is much bigger than you or I. Once we get married and we move forward, it's not just about the sex. It's about we're going to live with each other. We're going to elevate each other. We're going to look for our perfections and we're going to help each other in our imperfections. And that's why we're going to complement each other the way Christ elevates the church. 
this is what marriage comes down to. This is when we talk about, you know, love and marriage. We talk about sex and honor. We really want to talk about husband and wife and honor in the eyes of the church. Hope join us for our conference, August 7th, Sex and Honor, here at the Saint, uh, Sacred Heart Chapel in Covina. You can go on virginmostpowerfulradio.org to register. Hope to see you there next week.